0: Good to see you here this morning. Uh, Y'all, we are going to, for at least this week, next week, there could be possibly one more. We're doing, I felt the Lord uh, leading me to do a series on worship. And we started that last week. And last week, we basically just looked, kind of an introduction, that we have an object of our worship, and it's the Lord Jesus. And we are going to just keep moving on with this, this morning, so... You know, God has saved us to be worshipers, among other things. That we're not just, you know, be saved and go to heaven. We're saved to be worshipers of the Lord. And the Bible, Bible says the Father seeketh such, right? The Father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and truth. Next week we're really, I believe, gonna get in more in the spirit and truth. That passage from John chapter four next week. But I want you if you would today to open up in your Bibles, Turn with me if you would. Uh, to Leviticus chapter nine, we're going to read a pretty long passage here. You know, it's sad there was. It's so many people in our day. The Old Testament, I guess, is what I'm saying. I read my Bible, and when I finish it, I turn back to page one and I start over. That's how I read my Bible. Whenever I'm through, I'm through, and I start back over. But I'm also studying different things during the week, so I'm getting all kinds of of things. Uh, but. It's not boring. And the Lord doesn't want it to be boring. If, if it is boring to us, then there's probably something wrong with our hearts in our relationship with the Lord. We need to ask, ask God to touch us and help us. But we're going to read from Leviticus. I want you to start reading in verse 18. And we're going to read all the way through chapter 10. We're starting in 9.18. And we're going to go through 10.10. And so just follow with me if you would. This is uh, when the Levitical priesthood is being instituted and Moses is... Is the man, he's the leader of Israel, and Aaron and his sons are going to be the priests and they're being consecrated and so forth. And just follow with me in verse 18. He slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood which he sprinkled upon the altar round about, and the fat of the bullock and of the ram, the rump, and that which covered the inwards, and the kidneys, and the caul above the liver. And they put the fat upon the breast, and, and he burnt the fat upon the altar. And the breast and the right shoulder, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord. Now they weren't making all this stuff up. This is how God had instructed them to do it. Exactly how God had instructed them to do it. As Moses commanded, and Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from, from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. And Nahath and Abihu the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord which he commanded them not and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord then Moses and Aaron then Moses said unto Aaron this is it that the Lord spake saying i will be sanctified in them that come nigh me and before all the people i will be glorified and Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elizaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them into their, in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar and unto Ithmar, Ithmar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest you die, unless wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord had kindled. And, he, and ye shall not go out from, from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses." And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put a difference between the holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And we're just going to stop right there. Okay, now, uh, I realize that this is an Old Testament passage. And I understand that they were under this sacrificial system of the animal sacrifices and the Levitical priesthood and the First Covenant and the the Law of Moses and so forth. I understand that. I understand that we uh, are part of the New Testament in His blood. And we we can approach the Lord individually and by faith and we don't have to go through a high priest. Christ is our high priest. I'm not confused about that. But what I wanted to gather from this today is that it matter, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it matters to the Lord how we approach Him. It matters to the Lord how people approach God and call upon the Lord and worship the Lord. And we saw this in verse 3 that uh, Moses said, chapter 10, verse 3, Verse 3, Moses said unto Aaron, this is that which the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. That's after Aaron's two sons died, when the fire came out. You know, fire is interesting. The Lord, the Bible says that God's a consuming fire, right? And we see when Ezekiel saw him and he sees this fire enfolding this fire in the cherubims, and and when you see the Lord, a lot of times he, you see him as uh, with fire and dealing with fire, and it kind of can represent two things that I've seen in the Bible. It it can represent God's approval and His glory, like when in chapter nine when they did things correctly and they offered the sacrifices and they held up the peace offerings and they. They did everything according as all that Moses had commanded. It says the glory of the Lord filled the place, and fire came out and consumed the sacrifice that the Israelites offered. And it was a, it was a sign of God's acceptance. It was a sign that God was pleased you did it right. This is this is how I wanted it to be. And the fire came before the from the Lord and consumed the sacrifice. We saw the same in uh, Elijah's day. You know when Elijah challenged all the prophets of Baal. And so we're going to present you you Baal prophets, y'all, y'all uh, present your sacrifice and prepare it and present it to your God, Baal. And I'll present my sacrifice on the altar of the Lord to Jehovah, and whichever God answers by fire, let Him be God. And the Lord did not answer the Baal prophets, did not honor their sacrifice or their worship or anything about that, But when Elijah did it, this humble man of God by himself basically, standing there before the Lord, he did it right. He did represent God. He did know God. He did walk with the Lord. He was doing it because God told him to do that at that time. Fire came from heaven before he could finish speaking and consumed the uh, the sacrifice on the altar, licked up all the water that had been poured around about, and all the people glorified God. They fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And it was a beginning of a a brief, but I believe an actual, but a a brief uh, revival among the people. And they killed all the prophets of Baal and so forth, and God sent the rain. So we see God's giving fire as an acceptance. We see God sending fire as judgment as He did with Nahab, Nahab and Abihu. He sent fire and killed them. Okay? He sent fire and uh, brimstone to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. We see different places in the Bible where the Lord does that. But it matters to the Lord, y'all. It matters to the Lord how a man approaches Him. It's not just a free-for-all. It's not just... and, And that's the day and age in which we're living. And I think it's not just our day and age, but I would say it's more prevalent in our day and age. I think it's always been the case with men. Uh, To want to kind of invent their own way to come before the Lord. We come as this day and age. Christ has come. He fulfilled the prophecies. He fulfilled the law. And we come through the blood of Jesus. That's how we approach the Lord's throne. That's how we come in prayer. That's how we come to worship. We come uh, by the Holy Ghost, by the blood of Jesus. But y'all, it's always been. I don't care how far you... This is not a new thing. Now the covenant with through the blood of Christ is new, and it was foretold to the Old Testament, but I'm saying it's not new that God has a certain righteous requirements or a way, and a proper way in which men are to approach Him. That's not new. You know, there was a lot of years—I don't even know exactly—before the the Old Testament covenant. There was a lot of men that lived and died before that covenant ever came. Right? Noah and Enoch and. And Adam and Seth and, and you know, all those that came and lived and died before the law. Abraham, and, and Isaac, Jacob. They were not part of this Levitical system. Then comes Moses and the law is given through Moses. Then there's been a lot of at least 2,000 years since. And in all of it, um, the Lord has had a way for men to approach Him. He's never just been a stranger and said, when Christ comes, then men can worship Me. Um, You read in the Old Testament, right after uh, Cain killed Abel and then Adam and Eve had another son, Enos, and it says at that time men began to call upon the Lord. I mean, people were calling on the Lord. Uh, The the Bible says that Enoch walked walked with God, right? And he was not, for God took him. People were worshipers of the Lord. But it's always going to be uh, that God has a prescribed way. God is a God of order. Read the account of creation in the six days and on the seventh day He rested. He did this and this on the first day and He did this and He said, let there be and there was. He's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He created all that we see and, and are part of out of nothing and out of chaos. When the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, it brought. But besides His creation, it brought order and brought an order and a sunrise and a sunset and seasons and, and lights by night, you know, the stars and the moon and a light, greater light by day. God has an order. And He planted uh, a man in the, in the garden basically and set him there and He gave him charge to tend for the, the garden. He's a God of order. This is not just floating through the cosmos, you know, waiting for some feeling to come along. He has a name. He revealed Himself by His names to men through the Bible, right? And and so, God has a prescribed way. And we see it very clearly in the Bible that men are to approach Him. Approach him. Worship of Almighty God is not of our own creation. Worship in this God and Creator, the one true living God, it's not your invention or my invention. It's, it's not uh, the way that I want it necessarily... Would just feel like it should be. And it's definitely not chaotic and out of order. It's it's not vague. It's not left up to the individual to decide how he should best worship the Lord. And we'll hear things like this, or think thoughts like this, or hear it, uh, and people will say, "Well, this, this is the way that that I want to do it. This is the way I want to do my Christianity, or I want to worship God. Um, I prefer it this way." Or you'll hear some people say, this, this just seems right to me. It seems like this is God. And this is the way to approach Him. And this is the, the church to go to and the doctrine to hear and the whatever. It just seems right. Or maybe in our day and age, this is more popular. So this must be the way that God wants us to worship in our day and age. It's more accepted. But The Bible says that there's a way that seems right unto man. In Proverbs, right? But the end thereof, ends thereof are the ways of death. It seems right to man. Nadab and Abihu might have thought that was right. The fire that they offered to the Lord it ends there over the ways of death. Okay, and you say, "Oh, it's Old Testament. That's the Old Testament." Well, we saw Ananias and Sapphira drop dead in the New Testament in the church setting. Okay, uh, and I know that wasn't worship necessarily, but my point is that God doesn't change, and He is still a God of order. And He prescribes the way that men are to come unto Him. The sole object of our worship, we talked about this last week, must be the Lord Himself. I'm just recapping that just a little bit. And it says uh, in the Word of God, I'll just read this from Exodus. For thou shalt worship no other God. We just sang about it, right? I'll lay down my idols, thrones have I made. Thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. He's not jealous like He's envious of us. He's jealous over us. In other words, He wants us for Himself completely. And guess what? We should be His completely. He made us. He gave us life and put the breath in our nostrils. And He created us to know Him through His faith in His Son Jesus and to worship Him throughout all eternity. In this life, and we die and go be with the Lord or raptured, we're going to continue to worship the Lord. Uh, He alone is God. He's creator of all things. He's the Savior of the world. And He's worthy of our worship. Amen? He's worthy of man's worship. And that God who created us has laid out before us how we're to know God, approach God, worship the Lord. Again, it's not our own creation. He's made a way through the blood of Jesus for men to be born again, for our sins to be forgiven for us to have the gift of eternal life, for us to approach Him, and, and for, for us to be justified and so forth, have the gift of eternal life, but He's also laid out the way that we're to worship Him. And we need to understand that. We need to know that there is a right way to worship the Lord. There might be a million wrong ways, but there is a right way to approach the Lord. And it's not me telling you or you telling me exactly which songs to sing and how long we're to sing and are we to meet on Wednesday nights instead of a Thursday night. Not that, but how we're to approach the Lord by faith. How we're to come biblically. How how we are to come uh, through the blood of Jesus. How we're to come humbly before the Lord. And so forth. That is laid out for us in the Word of God. Everything that passes as worship is not. Everything that men in our day and in Christian churches calls worship calls worship is not. And I would say what a blessing that God has made away through the blood of His Son, through the cross, through faith, for the most sinful, vile man, which I am and we are, to come to not only to know the Lord, but to have this intimate relationship with God and to worship Him. If all the angels are around the throne worshiping the Lord, people redeemed by the blood of Jesus ought to be the biggest, best, most... Humble, exuberant, holy worshipers on the planet. Okay, and in all of creation, we should be there. What a savior. And, and I want to, to, I gave this definition last week. I'm going to probably uh, be a little redundant with it. The definition of worship when you look up in the Bible Old and New Testament, you kind of compile them and put them all together. There is, a, there is one that's a false worship, you know, with idols, where it's more like forced and compelled and it's not from the heart. We'll talk about that more later, but the, the, the basic definition, when you compare them all, and I'm compiling them here, you'll find these common threads. To uh, to prostrate in homage to royalty. To fall down before. To bow down. To adore. To revere. Voluntary honor. I said that last week. I think it's very important that it's voluntary honor. Then we looked, we closed the sermon last week with a woman who who the Lord had forgiven much and she was weeping at Jesus' feet and washing His feet with her tears anointing His head with oil. We said there wasn't any singing. There wasn't any music. There wasn't any sermon. We don't hear that she said a word. But that woman was worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Okay, Her eyes had been opened. There was a voluntary worship, a voluntary bowing down before her Savior and her Lord and the one that had forgiven her of a lifetime of horrible sin. And she was forgiven and cleansed. And so, and also one of the definitions you'll find, it's in the concordance, it says to kiss. To kiss, not romantically, it says to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. And so uh, the worshiper worships the one greater than himself. This is what we talked about last week. But worship is the only proper response, y'all, the only proper response from fallen, sinful, created man unto this holy God that made him and that saved Him and loved Him and is merciful." That's a proper response. You know what I'm saying? To worship God ought to just come from our hearts out of this new man. Once our eyes are open, we're lost. And in darkness, we don't know any better. But once we're born again, the recipients of such grace and mercy... and, and we talked about it last week, not only worshiping Him for what He's done for us, but worshiping Him just for who He is in His holiness, who He is in His majesty, and our jaw just drops and we're almost speechless when God gives us a little deeper revelation, a little deeper revelation of the Lord and worshiping Him, worshiping Him for who He is. That's our only real proper response back to the Lord. I believe it's rebellion. This is what we're really going to talk about more this morning. I believe it's rebellion. I believe it's a serious offense. Obviously, God's Word says it is for a man to invent his own method of worshiping God. God doesn't take that lightly. I believe it's sin. I believe it's uh, it's rebellion, and God's not going to allow it. He's just not going to allow it. We saw that he, he stopped it, didn't He? He judged it and stopped it with Nahab and Abihu. He stopped it, and He judged their strange fire. And y'all, they just just the reason I read the portion before that. Okay, in chapter 9 where they did everything right. They offered the sacrifice. The glory of the Lord appeared. And, and uh, the people fell down before the Lord and the fire consumed the sacrifice. Because I wanted you to see, this was the same two guys, Nadab and Abihu, that, that God consumed with a fire for offering a strange fire just moments later. They were, they were Aaron's sons. They were anointed for the priesthood. I'm going to just read this. Um, just real quickly, that back in, in Exodus, okay? You, you just I'm reading from Exodus twenty four nine through eleven. If you want to turn there, it says, Then went up Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire and stone, and as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. This is a thing that I have never really heard preached on or talked about, but I've been reading through the Old Testament and in Exodus, God invited not only Moses, but the priesthood, that early priesthood, and the 70 elders of Israel almost like to a special invitation dinner. They went and ate with the Lord. And they had this feast or this dinner before the Lord and they saw God. And they saw as, it, as under His feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone. Well, this was something amazing that these people got to see. Nadab and Abihu were part of this. They were there. They were just mentioned in that. It says earlier, just one chapter before we read in Leviticus, He says, And Moses took of the anointing oil of the blood which was upon and of the blood which was upon the altar and sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons and upon his sons garments with him and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons garments with him they were called they were anointed they had gotten to this uh, privilege to be part of the priesthood it was a calling of god upon their lives. They got to be part of that supper and see the Lord in that way. And then we see them a short time later offering this strange fire before the Lord and God judged it. I only want to read that to understand that these weren't people that were just out of left field that were ignorant or didn't know anything about it. They were commanded not to offer strange fire and so forth. And so and they got to see the Lord and they had this calling upon of God upon their lives. And... God uh, has given us His Word on how we're to approach Him. He's graciously given us His Word and the Holy Ghost to lead us in how we're to worship. We're called by God. They were called and consecrated under that priesthood. But the Bible says that we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Every believer, the youngest child in here that's truly born again, okay, or the newest saint that just got saved, is a royal part of a holy nation And a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. Okay, God has given us that privilege, and we have a calling to be priests and kings, and rule with rule and reign with the Lord, and to worship Him. And He's given us His Word to instruct us, and the Holy Ghost to enable us to worship Him rightly. There's no excuse for us not approaching the Lord rightly. We're not groping in darkness trying to figure out how to approach God, how to come to God, what pleases Him, what sin, what doesn't please Him. We have the Word of God. We have the Word of God. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Yes, the whole thing. Genesis to Revelation, we have it. So there's no excuse for you and I in our day as believers to improperly worship the Lord. To worship Him in in some false manner or matter that's unbiblical or not pleasing to Him. He has enabled us by the Holy Ghost and by the Word of God to rightly worship Him. And He expects that of us. And so, again, we're not trying to figure it out. We're coming by faith and opening the Word of God. Sitting under the authority of the Lord. Having the Holy Ghost lead us and guide us. And He enables us to do that. Uh, there's no need for us to worship God in any false manner, yet yet we see it, don't we? In our day and age, and in years past, and I believe it will increase until the Lord comes back, okay? We saw it right there in the Old Testament as well. We do see examples, in plenty of them, of men <coughs> worshiping the Lord in a false manner, in a, in a manner that's not righteous or godly. In a way that's sinful, in fact. We see it, and... Uh, when I'm talking, what we're talking about today is not idol worship. Okay, that's a whole nother story. Worship of idols, where you're obviously worshiping a false god. I'll give you some uh, Bible examples. People worshipped Baal, right? They—that uh, was in Elijah's day and in, in many other days. People worshipped Ashtaroth. People worshipped Molech and would put their, take their newborn children. Israel became part of this worship. It was horrible sin. They would take their children and offer them to this God, this, this statue made of iron. And they would heat the, this iron statue to where it was glowing, it was so hot. And these Israelites who became part of this worship would take their newborn children and place them in the hands of that scalding hot iron statue as a sacrifice to that God. And the Lord said, you're doing things that never even entered my mind. He said. The depths and the depravity of it. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about Baal worship and Dagon, the God of the Philistines, and all those different things and the sun and the moon and the stars and all of that. Uh, We're talking about worship of of the Lord, but in a false manner. What's called worship of Jesus Christ what's called Christianity and true worship when it's not. Idolatry, that's a whole other sermon and a whole other day that we would talk about. What Nadab and Abihu did was not idolatry, so to speak. It was sin. It was rebellion against the Lord. And this is what we're talking about uh, this morning because I think it's more prevalent to us and we see it more in our day. All you have to do is walk through Lifeway Bookstore or Christian Bookstore. And I'll appreciate this stores. Don't get me wrong, i buy stuff there. A lot of wonderful things. But you can also find things that are in the name of Christianity and in the name of Christ that are not. And your eyes are open and God gives you discernment and you see it. And anybody with the least little bit of discernment ought to be able to see much of it. But they don't. So we're not talking about idol worship Or worshiping a false god. I mean, the Bible says, there shall no strange god be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange god. That's all through the Bible. Okay, that came from the Psalms. But we're talking about what is in the name of Christ. It's in the name of Christ, but it's not Christ. It's in the name of being biblical and being of God, but it's not of God. It's called the Holy Spirit when it's really another spirit. Y'all know what I'm talking about. This is this is more and more what we're seeing increase. The idolatry and all continues to go on, but what we're seeing in the church and what's in the, When I say the church, I'll talk about, for for these purposes this morning. I'm going to talk about what's called the church, the big heading of Christianity. All that falls under that umbrella, okay. And you see things that are false. And you'll hear people say, and pastors and ministers and members of churches, wow, what a move of God. When it was not God. And with any kind of discernment, maybe just the scriptures or how they were twisted or used or misused or what took place. Anybody just out of honesty and being you know, being led by the Holy Spirit would say, That was not the Lord. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she said? Did you see what took place? But we're being told, wow, what a move of God when it's not God. Uh, the river's flowing when it's not the river of the Holy Ghost flowing. But we're being told it is and that if you didn't jump in, you just missed it. You missed the river because it, it was flowing. You missed God. And, and you're saying, I was, I was there. It wasn't God. I didn't discern the Spirit of the Lord at all. I, didn't, I know the Lord. I'm not perfect. But I know God, and I didn't discern that that was the Lord. And here's why: and maybe you have some clear scriptures to put on it. Maybe you, you don't, but you're discerning it's not the Lord. And and we'll see this. It was when you you this is false, and it's it's not of God, and yet it's being told. We're told this is the Lord. It might be a perversion. Perversion is simply a twisting. That's what that is. You take something like love, and you twist it. And make it lust. Okay, you take something like grace and you twist it, and you make it permissiveness, and it's something that it's not, and and it's soulish. It could be soulish, which is is mimics the spiritual very closely, but it's really appeal, appealing more to the soul of man, and it's not spiritual worship and truth of God. It could be fleshly, where it's nothing but emotions taken over and feelings, and you get goosebumps, and they tell the story that made me cry or made me laugh, and we all hugged each other and we had this big part, group hug, and we think it's all God, and it could just be flesh, and also could be demonic. Okay, all three of those could take place. So everything is not necessarily demonic, but it could be, it could be fleshly, it could be soulish, but God has called us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Again, we'll talk about that more next week. But I want you just to see that much is, much of what is called Christian and is promoted, as I mentioned the bookstore, okay? On TV, anywhere in our town. Much of what is promoted as this is a move of God. This is of Christ. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the newest, latest, greatest thing. And it's not. It's in the name of Jesus. It's promoted as being Christian and being spiritual. And it's accepted in much of Christianity as being spiritual and of God and so forth. But it's not. There's a false worship. It's a false worship of Jehovah. It's a false worship of Jesus Christ. He is still Lord, but the worship is not the way He's called it. And some other spirit may come in and take over that worship service or that concert or that whatever it may be, that prayer meeting. And it's not. And I don't live in fear of this. We've talked a lot about deception and testing and trying the spirits. And again, we don't live in fear of that, but we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And we need to understand this goes on in church. Not every church, praise God. But it does go on in church, in Christian churches. And so there's a strange fire. That's what Nadab and Abihu offered. Strange fire. They didn't offer it to a strange God. They offered strange fire to God. All right, and it it is uh, it's not honoring to the Lord. It's not accepted by the Lord. God's going to judge it. I believe there's a deception in it. I believe it's an abomination to God. He went to destroy these two men for no reason. He was judging them, and I think he wanted in that example. It was an example. It served as an example to early on, this was very early on in this Levitical worship where God appeared and His fire consumed the sacrifice in the first offering and the glory of the Lord appeared and people really worshipped the God and they fell on their faces before the Lord. And then right on the heels of that comes this strange fire and he dealt with it quickly. He didn't any call any men to deal with it. He just dealt with it and he gave it in the Word of God for those people that lived in that day and for us as an example. He's not playing around when it comes to worship. It's, it's an abomination to the Lord. I believe it's a rebellion. I believe it's man turning, even within Christianity, to turning to his own way. His own way. And I also believe it shows men's arrogance. It still shows self. That we, we're going to do it our way. Yeah, we believe God's God, but we're going to do it our way. And God's not playing around with that. It's soulish. uh, It happens, as I said, with those professing to... uh, They profess it to be of Christ, and it's not. And it's actually of self. Okay? It's of self. And here's the the mindset, and I kind of mentioned it earlier. This would be the mindset of someone offering a strange fire in the name of Christ. Okay? In the name of Jesus. I'll decide the best way for me to worship. You see, I and me. I'm going to decide the best way for for me to worship the Lord. I'll choose the way that I like best. I'll choose the way that makes me feel closer to God or more spiritual or uh, makes me feel joyful or makes me feel free. I'll choose that way. No, we're not. We're not. We're not going to choose our way. We're going to come God's way or we don't come. Now, I know this is just speaking of salvation, but there's that song we sing some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Mm-hmm. You're going to come God's way for salvation, and we're going to come God's way for worship. Again, I'm not stressing here please get me understand me. I'm not stressing um, contemporary Christian music versus traditional hymns, okay? I think there's godly songs in both camps, And, and I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that you have a long service or a short service. I'm talking about coming in spirit and in truth and worshiping the Lord in reality and in biblical reality and what's truly honored to God as opposed to what might hype up a crowd or make you feel tingly and it not be the Lord. That's what I'm talking about this morning. We're not even talking about idol worship. We're talking about strange fire. And... The man saying, I'll choose the way that I want to come. And and we don't. We're going to worship this great God and this Redeemer. He has a name. He has a name above all names. We're going to approach Him we're going to come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to worship Him that way. We must come to the Lord uh, and find out. I don't think it takes long, but I think we need to stay before the Lord humbly before the Lord and personally in our own walk with God so that we can hear Him. So that we know what's of God. Not I can promise you this group right here, if you individually, seven days a week through the week, will stay close to the Lord, you wouldn't tolerate anything from this pulpit that's not of God. Or from the praise and worship. Or we're gonna for Sunday school, we're going to do uh, you know, Jesus Calling. You say, wait, 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 wait. I've, I've heard about that book. Let's look into that a little bit. And you'd say, Pastor Randy, and I would, I would appreciate you come, coming to me. God wants you to do it. There's a kind way to do it. There's a Christ-like way to do it. But please do it. You understand what I'm saying? We don't just... Uh, if we would stay close to the Lord, we would know that. We don't have to make a special effort, so to speak, to not be deceived. But you have to stay close to the Lord. And, and He's going to guide us by His Spirit into right worship of Him. Into a right way to pray. Into right doctrine. And sermons and Bible studies and fellowships. What's in balance? What's out of balance? He'll lead us and guide us with that. So the, the key is staying close to the Lord. But he, he shows us in His Word. Amen? And allow Him to show us what's pleasing to Him, how we're to approach Him, and what glorifies God. And I think that's a key part that's left out a lot. It's not about how I feel about the worship. It's about what glorifies God. And if I'm not feeling right about the worship, and and yet it's the way He wants me to come, then He's got to do a little heart surgery on me. And I need to lay myself before the Lord and let Him. Let Him work in my life. and, And bring my faith and my mindset and my heart in line with truth. Not the other way around. Not try to find something that's false or fake or out here in left field or strange fire and try to incorporate that into my Christianity or my church. I need to bring myself in line individually and we as churches need to bring ourselves in line with biblical truth and with approaching God the right way. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 30. We're going to read verse 1 and just skip down to verse 7. Exodus 30, verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. Okay. Now here's he's given. Uh, this is all the laying out for the tabernacle and all the instruments of the tabernacle, and the, the the ark of the covenant and the whole bit, the candlestick, all that's being laid out, and then what's to take place on the candlestick, and what incense is to be burned. You know, there's there's a specific uh, composition of that. Incense that was to be burned. It made us a, a, burned, on the, you know, and offered up a fragrance to the Lord. And He says, "You don't use this for anything else. This isn't a personal perfume for you to put behind your ears, okay? Nor this is. This was to be burned only uh, for the Lord." And then we'll skip down to verse seven. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even. He shall burn incense upon it. It is a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burn sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. Guess what he's saying? He's God of order. And we could read all the types and shadows and what it signifies. A lot of people think the incense represents uh, the prayers of the saints going up or praises that God inhabits. It's a sweet smell and sacrifice to the Lord. I, I, I agree with that. That's a whole other sermon. What I wanted you to see here today, he laid out a path. He laid out an order and, and, a, and a schedule of how things were to be done. And he says, there shall no strange fire be offered upon it. Okay. Now these censers that Nadab and Abihu had, it was like a little bowl and they would carry their fire in this little bowl and they'd bring it and they they burn their incense in it at the altar before the Lord. It wasn't of God. It was not How he had said it wasn't the incense he had called. The word strange there, when it says, You shall burn no strange incense, I think this is telling and significant. It means the word strange, you look it up in that context, it says to turn aside, to be a foreigner. It means to commit adultery, it means to go away. So you get the idea of it's something askew, it's something out of whack, a foreigner, a stranger. It, it, uh, adultery, this would be like spiritual adultery, going away from the Lord, to go away, and profane was another word there, profane. And we read, after God judged these two men and judged their sin, and they were consumed with the fire, and He said that, that you, we kept reading a little beyond that, He says, Moses, this is what i talked to you about, what we just read here in Exodus. In Leviticus, He's saying, Moses, this is what I told you back in Exodus, there shall no strange fire be offered up. Okay, And He says that I'm going to be sanctified upon my people. I'm going to be God and it's going to be my way. I'm going to be sanctified. And we'll teach the people the difference between the clean and the unclean. And you're going to teach them in your priesthood, you're going to teach them the difference between the profane and the holy. What's strange and what's holy and really of God. We need to know that. We need to know the difference between the clean and the unclean in our churches today. And the profane versus what's, what's truly of God. And much is called the Lord that is not the Lord. And I'll ask this question. We're going to be kind of bringing this to a head and to, to a close. So can, I'll just ask the question. It's a rhetorical question. But can a strange fire be offered up in the name of Christ? Can a strange fire, not just an idol, but can a strange fire be offered up in the name of God, in the name of Christianity and holiness and the Holy Spirit? Yes, it can. Okay? It can be offered up by men and women and churches and ministers of this Gospel who claim to be of God as they're doing it. Okay? It can be. They profess to be called by the Lord. They profess to be anointed to do what they're doing. <clears throat> they profess that this word strange fire is not strange fire <clears throat> excuse me but it but it's actually of the Lord and it's offered up in the name of Jesus yes, many times it can be and it's promoted and packaged in music and in books and in conferences and in on TV ministries it's promoted as being of the Lord here's how I think the most common ways I hear it y'all just and agree with me and nod your heads if you, if you have heard it before. Something that comes into Christianity and it all of a sudden maybe catches fire and it's kind of like a new thing that you see. New minister that gets real popular. A book or whatever. They're not all bad. I'm telling you how strange fire can come in though and how it's spoken of. It's spoken of by the promoter of this thing <clears throat> to the people of God or to the churches as being some new thing. I know that sounds simple, but new. It's a new thing. It's a new revelation for the church. It's a new uh, revelation. It's typically this minister or this pastor, this singer or this author. They got this new revelation personally. And if you want to get what they've got, you've got to come to them or their cohorts, you know, their associates to get it. Those that are in that same little circle of people. Right? Is this that is promoted in the church, or y'all just been missing it. This is a new thing. Okay? A new thing. New wine, fresh wind, fresh fire, new thing that you have to have. And, uh, you know, you hear phrases like this, you can't put new wine into old bottles. Well, you know what? That is a Scripture. That is a Scripture. I believe it's talking about the new covenant and faith in Jesus. And doing away with the old covenant and a new relate, I believe that's what Christ was speaking of in that. But that scripture is a real scripture. But when you hear it, a lot of times it can be misused to say you got to swallow this new thing that I'm telling you. This new music, this new type of worship, this new whatever. You can't put old, you know, new wine into old bottles. And they kind of, you know, this is a new thing. So a lot of times the scripture is real, but the scripture can be misused to. To promote something that's not of God, a strange fire. <clears throat> All right. Also, you'll hear promote it. Not only a new thing, you'll hear it. Um, as maybe it's not a new thing, but it's something that's rediscovered. In other words, we're returning to the old paths. Do you hear this? Have you ever heard this? The church fathers and the ancients and the mystics. We have to go back to them. Have y'all ever read books and talk about that? I have. You've got to go back. The church is missing it. We've got to go back to the church fathers. Can I tell you there was gross sin in our church fathers' day? That in the Revelation when you read the seven churches in in the in the books, you know, in Asia, that there are being the churches gross sin and idolatry and false doctrines and all kinds of stuff going on. The question is not the church fathers, the question is is it biblical? Is it holy? Is it of Christ? That's the, there was sin in Paul's day. It was in the church in their day. Serious sin that would have been considered strange fire. I'm not returning to the ancients. I'm not returning to the church fathers and the mystics. But that's how it's being promoted in our day. A strange fire is being brought and saying you got to return to the, the paths of the ancients. And it sounds so wonderful. Okay? Returning to the old paths. And you'll also hear promoted, and it's kind of a combination of those first two, but it's something that's it's a missing element in the church today. This strange fire, this new doctrine, this new music, this new whatever is a missing element that the church has done without and and for all these years, and we've just discovered it. I've discovered it. Or our church has discovered it. I'm I'm gonna always be cautious of that. You understand? My God and Savior would show me. After walking with the Lord all these times and years and reading the Bible, and He would show you, He's no respecter of persons. If I'm totally missing the mark in my worship, in my Christianity, in my walk with God, and yet it's being promoted in this new day, it's a strange fire. You've been missing it. This is a new element, uh, a new revelation that the church, a new truth, a new practice that the church can't live without. When you hear that, can I say run the other way? I'm talking to you as believers. If you were lost people, then we would bring the Gospel. And people would be saved to come to know Christ. They are missing it. (coughs) amen. But to take a church that's saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm not saying that we're perfect, but from Genesis to Revelation, I believe it. And what I don't believe, I want to believe. And what I don't understand, I want God to show me and to understand it. So I'm not talking about perfection. But if somebody says this is some new thing the church has done with that and we discovered it over here in Johannesburg, South, South Africa or Montreal, Canada or Brownsville, Florida and Pensacola, Florida and you've got to come here to get it and the church has been missing it run the other way. Amen. Get on your knees before the Lord and pray for them not out of an arrogance that we're better than them and look how foolish they are but God help us. Okay? God help us. We have to watch for that. Um, the laughter movement, the Brownsville, the emergent church, the postmodern church, the hyper grace, the new covenant theology, uh, Christian hedonism that's a new one, inner healing, fire circles, <clears throat> and fire lines at the Bethel concerts that they go through. Uh, this is new. This is a move of God. This is a work of God. It's not. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's a strange fire offered up in the name of Jesus Christ, and it's not Jesus Christ. God. He's not striking them down like he did in Nadab and Abihu, but he is going to judge it. Okay? He is going to judge it. We have to be careful. Okay? We have to be careful. And so, uh, very little, when people are promoting this strange fire, and I'm bringing it to a close, but very little, if any, scriptural basis is given for this new thing, this missing thing, this, you've got to have this in our churches. We've been missing it all these years. Now, if they weren't baptized in the Holy Ghost, and they just realized that that's for today. That's, but that's scriptural. You can find that in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? They did miss it. But to make up something, very little scripture is used when introducing some strange doctrine or strange fire into worship. And the scriptures—I'm not saying they never use scripture. When they use scripture, they misuse scripture, or they'll use read the first half of the verse and not the second half of the verse. Where it told it gave a bounce to it and cleared it all up if they'd have just read it. But they didn't read it all because they wanted you to get this first part and not see the second part. Because it promotes their agenda and what they're trying to do. I'm not saying they never use scripture, they misuse scripture, or they use nine of them right and two of them wrong. Okay, and you put it all together, you got something wrong. You got a little bit something wrong in there. And so I know we're talking about worship, but worship is going to be God's way. It's not going to be my way. Okay? Uh, a lot of times it disregards the entire teaching of the Bible too. They'll teach something from the Scriptures, but it's not in line with the whole counsel of God. If you look at the character, the nature of God, the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, what is God saying to men? It doesn't line up with that. That's important. Every sermon, every Bible study, every college and career Bible study, every youth meeting, every devotional, every Sunday school lesson, every counseling, every prayer meeting, every time we open a communion, it all <coughs> is, needs to line up with the whole counsel of God. Every book you read and you start reading a Christian book and it doesn't, stop reading it. You don't need it. I know there are wonderful Christian books. I'm not saying don't read Christian books. I'm reading a book before I go to bed at night every night a little bit. We read books, but you don't need those things. I don't need that book back there. And if I do read one, I want it to be something that's holy and godly and biblical. Not mostly biblical, but biblical. I don't want to swallow one thing that's not of the Lord. And so be, please be very careful with that yourselves. Alright, also you'll see this that where not a lot of scriptural basis is given, but also you'll see there... There's a ridicule and a belittling against those that aren't buying into what they're saying. That's not, that's not Christ-like. It's just not Christ-like. If I w- a witness to a lost man they didn't believe and didn't give their life to Christ, you think I'm going to belittle them? Or pray for them? My heart's going to go out to them. If I'm talking to a Christian, a believer that's born again, I'll be with them in, for eternity in heaven and they're not baptized in the Holy Ghost and they're blinded to it. They think it passed away and it's not for today. Do you think I'm going to ridicule them and mock them? Or am I going to try to show them in the Bible and pray that they would their eyes would be opened and they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's not of the Lord, that whole character trait. But you'll see it. If you're not buying into their new thing, into their new music, and their new whatever that they're promoting as worship, then you're a Pharisee and you're a legalist and you're this and you're that. And there's a belittle and They feel sorry for you and they ridicule you and kind of chuckle under their breath at those people over there. Well, guess what? If we're really saved and they're really saved, then that's my brother in Christ. And I'm going to be with them throughout heaven. I have no reason to ridicule. If it's something biblical, show me in the Bible. And we'll go to it. And I'll try to humble myself before the Lord and be convinced of it by the Lord. Okay? If it's not then then I want, I want no part of it, okay? But you'll hear that ridicule to those that aren't on board with them, basically. Don't give in to that pressure, okay? To feel like, well, I guess I ought to get on board with it. No, you just keep your eyes on Jesus. Alright? I want to read a couple of examples and we're going to be closing. Uh, this is a book by Roger Oakland. Some of y'all might have heard of him. He's a... He's a uh, what do you call him? Someone that, that uh, like a Dave Hunt apologist, okay? And uh, knows the Lord. i read, read several books by him. And I want to just read a couple of quotes. This, this book I read years ago. Talked some, this is about the emergent church. Y'all might have heard of the emergent postmodern church. We've moved beyond church buildings and <coughs> correct doctrine and all that. They'll t- actually tell you to look out for the doctrine cops. They'll warn you. Against people like me and yourself, look out for those doctrine cops who are always claiming, you know, fighting for, for sound doctrine and what's of the Lord and what's not of the Lord. I would say we need to look out for them Amen. and pray Amen. for them. Okay, <clears throat> how about this one? All right, the drumming circle at the Church of the Holy Comforter in Richmond, Virginia, Found, <clears throat> founded by Regina Smith. The drum circle is exact is really what it says. It's a gathering of people in a circle with drums. It's, it's really a very ancient, and I remember what I talked about it's really a very ancient form of expression. You move your head. Hey, she go, uh, stipped, uh, This lady first experienced the power of drums in the late 1990s during a yoga retreat in Massachusetts. She came home and announced to her husband, I need to get a drum. Now, can I tell you within Christianity, this is within Christianity, this is a Christian church. Uh, I'm not saying this person is necessarily born again. Alright? But, this is going on not in the name of Baal or Allah. This is going on in the name of Jesus Christ. And she said, I need to get a drum. When somebody tells you they need something like that and you've already got Christ and you have the Word of God and you have the Holy Ghost living inside of you, be careful. Somebody comes up and hands Jenny a book and says, you've got to read this. It'll change your life. You have to have it. Your Christianity is just incomplete without it. Be careful. Okay? Be careful. If they just wanted to say this is a wonderful book that helped me in my faith, that's a different thing. I've got books like that. I still go back to a lot of things from Moody and Tori and different books that I've read and I use their examples and their quotes and wow, the way they explained that was so wonderful. They made that so clear. I still do that to this day. I'm not telling you don't read Christian books, okay? But anyway, uh, we are. Uh, they they put in an advertisement because they were going to get together in their church. They were going to invite people. We are uniting people around the world in one hour of drumming in unison, getting together in true in a true global village of drumming. It's the first time the drumming event is this big in our country imagine the whole world beating the drums at the same hour for one hour I would simply say this it's Christ being glorified is it biblical Is it scriptural Did it say anything about Jesus Did it say anything about the gospel and the author of this book says no this is shamanistic type drumming it's promoting a way to center uh, to enter a mystical state while turning one's brain into a hypnotic state the beat of a drum. May speak directly to the intelligence of the body. It goes on to say an article from uh, Calvin Institute of Christian Worship that speaks favorably about this drumming. Okay? And the author says it would be to our advantage as worshipers. You now we're talking about worship, right? So here's somebody in a Christian context. It's the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship who endorses this drumming practice. Says it would be to our advantage as worshipers to harness the resource that we see in the secular world culture and adapt it and bring it into the church, not only to attract the diverse congregation, but to communicate to the congregation the universality of the church and the diversity of humanity. It sounds, I don't know what it sounds like. It just sounds like they're kind of intelligent. And if you didn't know any better, you would kind of... You know, it is true. We need a more diverse congregation. And, and we're really all of one people. And God loves us all. And You could start down that road and do this. Never once did they question, is it of the Lord? Did they search the Scriptures to see, was it of God? Did they pray to see what the Lord wanted? You worship, you know not what. We know... What we worship, Jesus told the woman at the well. It matters to God. I'm going to bring this to a close. It matters to God how we worship. It matters to God how we approach approach Him. We need to know that it matters to God. I don't just wake up today and I'm going to do it this way today. Or go to church and we're going to do it this way this Sunday. I'm not talking about changing the time of our service. Okay? It matters to God. He's jealous over us. The Bible says, the Lord says in Ezekiel, I'll be jealous for my holy name. It matters to God what we call Christ and what we call Christianity and what we call Christian worship and what's offered up in the name of the Lord. Is it really the Lord? Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which made you which He made with you, and make you a graven image or likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God is what it says. And I say again, it matters to the Lord how we worship the Lord. I'm going to read this from a commentary I was reading. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each burned incense before the Lord with profane fire, perhaps fire that was not taken off the brazen altar, Since the altar speaks of Calvary, well, listen to this, I'm I'm closing. It was as if they tried to approach God in some other way than through the atoning work of Christ. Because remember, everything in that that Levitical system typified Christ. Everything. Everything typified the Lord in salvation, including that fire that was offered up in the altar. Fire went out from the most holy place and devoured them and they stood as they stood by the golden altar in the holy place. Moses warned Aaron in effect that any complaint would be rebellion against God's righteousness. You know when those two men died, and that's Aaron's son, and the Lord says, "Aaron, don't you cry." Can you imagine? That God's not being cruel. But you know what he's saying there? Somebody else is going to pick him up and carry him out. You're still operating in the priesthood. You can't touch a dead body right now. Because in boohooing and weeping over his sons like that, it would almost been like Aaron was aligning himself with them and what they did. God wasn't being cold-hearted. He's setting an example. He's saying, this is what I told you about. Aaron, you keep your eyes on the Lord. You're in the priesthood. you have the anointing oil upon you. You stay in the tabernacle right now. Some other people are going to come, his cousins are going to come, and carry those two men out, your sons. And I know that had to be a heartache. I'm not saying that. God didn't say it. He couldn't couldn't have a heartache over His sons. He's saying, you keep your eyes on Me and you stay in this temple and don't boo-hoo like I did something cruel or mean to your boys. I warned you. I told you about this. And this is that profane fire. I'm going to be sanctified among my people. God takes it seriously how we worship the Lord. So I'm going to close with this scripture. You can come if you would. The strange fire is strange. It's foreign. Remember, it's, it's something to, to go away. It's, it's uh, taking a departure, a detour from what the Lord wants us to. And we're not to offer that to the Lord in the name of Christ. In Micah 6.8, <clears throat> we've all heard this Scripture. This is not specifically speaking of worship, but I don't think I'm taking it out of context to use it in this way. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. In other words, God shows us what He requires of us. But to do good, to do justly, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. We're not groping in the darkness. We have the Spirit of Truth to guide us into all truth. We have the Word of Truth to guide us into all truth. We have the fellowship of believers, a church body with the head being Christ. Every stone you know, fitly joined together. We, we're not groping in the darkness looking for some new way. Looking for some new path that we're just missing it, missing it, missing it. I found Christ. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Can I grow in him immensely? Yes. Are there deeper truths and deeper experiences with God than what I've experienced before? Yes. Way, way more than I've experienced. You know, I read these men that I, that I admire in the Bible and, and after the Bible that walk with God, and I think, wow, we should have a prayer life like that. Yes, there's way more than what I've experienced. But it's not a new, unbiblical thing. It's a deeper revelation of, an old, of a truth that He's already given me. And so there is a difference in that. I already have the whole Bible. I've read the whole Bible. I see new things when I'm reading it that I didn't catch maybe the first time. But it's always deeper in Christ. It's not some new thing that I've been without for all these years. Just be careful of that. The Lord has showed thee, O man, what is good and what, does the, what the Lord requires of us. David said, you can stand if you would. And you just find your place to meet with the Lord wherever that is. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. That's not what Nadab and Bihu were doing. It's what David was doing. My soul longs, my flesh, my heart cry out for the living God. And how amiable are thy tabernacles. It was, he's a God of order. He wants us to come before Him and approach Him in the way that He's prescribed. And y'all, there's no need for us not to. There's no reason for us not to. to just keep our eyes on the Lord. He is more than enough. He satisfies me. I don't have to have some new type of worship music or concert or fire circle or beat a drum. If the Bible told me to do it, I'd be up here banging a drum. Okay? But, but we need to go on with the Lord and, and grow deeper in the Lord. He is, he's enough. There's so much of Him that I still haven't experienced in my own life. Greater faith in God, a greater intimacy with the Lord, to love people like He loves people. I've got a long way to go, y'all. And and I'll forever be seeking the Lord for that, you know, not some new thing. So, God, we just come before you.